So uh, I'm very excited this morning to be able to share with you about the simplicity of stuff. And what I want to do, uh, to the very best of my ability, and in around 15 minutes, is establish what the role and meaning of material possessions are for those who follow Jesus. Uh, but firstly, this morning, I want to tell you a story, and it's a story I'm a wee bit nervous about telling you about, because this is the story of the very first arguments that I had with my wife, Sarah, after we got married. Uh, the first and only argument, of course, because I'm a complete delight to be married to. Uh, the first flat that Zara and I lived in uh, wasn't, it wasn't great. It was awful, actually. It was really bad. Uh, and uh, it was good value for money, though. It was about $190 a week, which was good, because at the time I was studying theology full-time, which doesn't pay super well. And I was working uh, six hours a week at the post office, where they called me Postman Matt. Uh, and there were, there were a, a number of reasons this flat wasn't great. Uh, the first was that the street we used to live on uh, used to flood regularly. Uh, this is uh, because of earthquake damage. This is uh, <coughs> going to get milk at the dairy. And um, she didn't actually get the milk in the end because of the flooding. There was water in the way, which was annoying. I'm still a bit peeved about that, actually. Uh, but the main problem was uh, that... Uh, our place was so damp and mouldy. It was so damp and mouldy that if you left some paper on the ground and uh, you picked it up the next day, it would actually be soggy. It was, um, it was, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty rank. We had a dehumidifier and we would uh, have to uh, kind of clean this dehumidifier out two or three times a day. When we first moved into this property, uh, we immediately got a cat. Uh, this is... Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is our cat, Augustine. He's very beautiful. I think he kind of looks like uh, 2020 in animal form. Or like, uh, like a discount Mufasa. Uh, but anyway, so we got him as a, as a kitten, and uh, he needed to be litter trained. And, uh, but there were still the occasional accidents, leading to only more damp spots in our house. Which leads me to the argument... And I haven't cleared this with Newt. I didn't ask him if I could tell the story, but here we are. Um, the argument. We come home and we discovered that the bed was damp. Now, I was arguing that the bed was damp because uh, our kitten Augustine had urinated on it. Zara was arguing that the bed was damp because our house is always damp. And so this went back and forth for a for a while until I got fed up and I said, I said this. I said, Zara, if you're so sure that the cat has not urinated on the bed, then why don't you lick the bed sheet? <laughs> now, something I admire about Zara is the way that she absolutely backs herself. <laughs> and so she confidently took this bed sheet and as if she were licking an ice cream, applied her tongue to the sheet and licked it from bottom to top. And something I will definitely never forget is the way that her facial expressions changed from confidence and determination to disgust and regret. <laughs> she didn't need to say anything at all. This is an example of what Spanky was talking about the other week. Uh, no words needed to be exchanged. It became very, very clear that I, in fact, was correct. 
and that Zara had overcommitted herself to a misinformed idea, of which the consequences were mildly gross, and I was the winner of the argument, but were there really any winners? But over the past 2,000 years in church history, we've seen the church commit itself to quite a few uh, misinformed ideas, not least uh, what I'm talking about today, which is stuff, our possessions, the material things of this world. Uh, theologian, uh, there we go, theologian A. Chadwick Thornhill says this. He says, Christians have a long, complicated history with stuff. Whether it's bodies, possessions, or the material world in general, there are strands in the history of Christian thought which, whether implicitly, um, implicitly or explicitly, view stuff as inherently negative. And almost the very first error the church made, the very first heresy that the church had to contend with, was made in regards to stuff in regards to the material things of the world. Uh, the church very quickly fell into the era of thinking that matter doesn't matter, that somehow the spiritual world invalidates the material world, that spirituality is on a higher realm than the physical realm. And unfortunately, this didn't actually come from uh, Scripture or it didn't come from the teachings of Jesus. This largely came from the philosophy of Plato and a heresy that invaded the church called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism held that the material world was inferior to the spiritual one. And Gnostic thought even held that an inferior God created the material world. Gnosticism means uh, secret knowledge, and the idea was that you needed a secret spiritual knowledge to escape the physical world and to transcend it into a higher spiritual one. And from the inception of the church, this kind of sinister idea has snuck its way into the thought of Christianity and has ultimately led to the church not just having a low view of stuff, but also the environment on the whole. Uh, but there are two uh, quite basic theolo theological responses we can make in uh, response to this idea that matter doesn't matter. Uh, the first would be uh, that God created the material world. He created humans uh, as material beings, and he created humans with material needs. Uh, put in another slightly more provocative way, God created us as consumers, just not as consumerists. And I think Al Walters sums it up when he says this. He says, God doesn't make junk, and he doesn't junk what he has made. God doesn't make junk, except the blues. <laughs> I'm kidding. He didn't make them. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Uh, but God not only created the material world, but he's also going to restore the material world. He's not going to junk what he has made. The story of Scripture is not a story of God zapping us off the world while it burns so we can hang out in a spiritually ambiguous cloud listening to harps and Enya. I don't even like harps. Enya I'm cool with, though. Yeah, I vibe Enya. Uh, it's the story of God making all things new. It's the story of uh, the restoring of the material world into the way that it was supposed to be. The next basic theological response is that when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he's not only concerned with people's spiritual needs and 
concerned that their spiritual needs are taken care of, but also that their physical needs are met and as well. In his teachings and in his ministry, we see that Jesus is concerned about material things, that the sick are healed, that the poor have food, that people have shelter, that people are shown hospitality, and that ultimately that heaven and the material world become one. That is, followers share their possessions among others so that no one would lack. So we see that Jesus didn't actually diminish the role of stuff, but advocated for the right use of it. God's kingdom is where the the physical, material world is ordered into a place where humans flourish and where God's will is done. So matter matters. God made it and it's good. The problem isn't with stuff itself. It's to do with us and how we order it. Here's another bad idea about stuff. uh, That matter is all that matters. In 2016, Uh, the popular skate brand Supreme released an exclusive new designer item. Does anyone know what the item was? It was this, a clay brick. The brick went on sale for 30 US dollars and sold out within a day. That same evening it was found on eBay being resold for $1,000. I did the math on this and it would cost close to around $4 million to build a house with these bricks. Uh, Now, let's be clear in case this isn't obvious. This brick has absolutely no functional benefit to the purchaser. So what's going on here? Well, sociologist Danielle Todd says this. She says, products are imbued with a greater significance than what their primary function may be. Today, it is virtually impossible to buy any product not embedded with symbols of identity acquired by the buyer knowingly or otherwise. Recognizing this, it's possible to draw the conclusion that consumption functions as a way to create a sense of self. Consumption functions as a way to create a sense of self. This is what happens when matter becomes all that matters. In New Zealand, we live in a secular culture um, and uh, where most people have rejected, rejected religion and ultimate truth claims, and this is true in, in most of the West. And so uh, where do people find meaning? Well, from what we see, uh, people have begun to create meaning for themselves through the consumption of stuff. Put another way, uh, consumerism is a response to the existential threat of meaninglessness. And so what we have now is essentially consumerism as a secular religion, where salvation is found in stuff. Wilkins and Sanford note this. They say, consumerism absolutizes consumption by believing that we can find fulfillment by accumulating wealth and everything that comes with it. It tells us that all our needs can be satisfied by what we consume. Since the fulfillment of needs is what salvation is all about, Consumerism is, in reality, a secular religion. While most people uh, would probably be hesitant to acknowledge this, consumerism has become many of our religions. It's become a meaning-making tool that drives our lives and gives us a sense of self and identity. People both inside and outside the church try and meet their core emotional and spiritual needs through the accumulation of material stuff. Uh, And here's what I worry. 
I worry that many of us in the West spend a huge chunk of our lives turning to stuff and to material possessions to meet needs that God has actually already met for us, to try and do what God has already done for us, which is, to me, a real waste of our lives, that we (coughs) would turn to having a nice car, a nice house, a nice boat, a nice pair of shoes, because it meets our need of feeling significant. When God is saying, you already are significant, I made you significant, you're created in my image, and you're invited to recreate the world, you just are significant. I worry that many of us rely on positions to be seen and noticed by others, when God is saying, "Uh, I see you, I notice you, and I like you, and you bring me joy, and you're set out apart in your own uh, individual way with your own divine fingerprint upon your life. And you're part of a community that is called to be noticed and set apart. That's what holiness is. Uh, I worry that many of us rely on stuff to give us a sense of progress. That the next car, the next house, the next renovation, the next thing gives us a sense of progress and keeps us going and moving forward. That we put our hope in what's next for us materially. But Jesus wants our sense of progress to come from growing in our character by, through his grace, becoming more like Jesus and more like the humans we're created to be. I wonder if you are using stuff to meet a need that God has already met. In Jesus' famous sermon on the mount, he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word at the end of this verse is is particularly interesting to me. Sometimes it's translated mammon, uh, but more often than not, it's translated money or wealth. And it comes from two root words in Greek. The first one, which means that in which one trusts. That in which one trusts. And the second one, uh, food maintenance and provision. In other words, uh, stuff, not just um, money. And what Jesus seems to be doing here in this passage, and by using this word, is making the issue of possessions an issue of trust. What will you trust in to bring your life significance, value, and meaning? Do you trust Jesus or the religion of consumerism and mammon, because you can't put your trust in both. They both vie for our allegiance and our hearts in a way that makes them utterly incompatible. And so uh, I think the key to a simple approach to stuff is uh, this, and it's not super profound, uh, but it's just that you should be trusting how God created you, that you should trust that you are loved, that you should trust that you are seen, that you should trust that you are significant, that you should trust the way of Jesus over and against the way of mammon. And this isn't a a complex idea. This is a series on simplicity, so I can get away with this. Uh, We know these things are true, but the problem is we, we often don't live like they're true. We often don't act as though they are true. And so following Jesus involves neither the total embrace of nor the total neglect of the material world. Following Jesus involves simply trusting him to meet our core needs, that he's truly saved us. And then from this place of trust, 
uh, not needing to meet our own needs, we generously order our possessions for the flourishing of humanity and for others. We, uh, once we anchor ourselves on the simple truth that all that's worth possessing comes from God, then we can order the world around us for the sake of others. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something this week, and maybe this is something you want to make a regular practice. But uh, this coming week, uh, I want you to give something away that will help someone flourish. Uh, maybe it's money, maybe it's food, maybe it's a position, maybe it's a book, a uh, car, uh, clothes. Uh, and, and the idea behind this practice is that in doing so, we remind ourselves that ultimately our needs are met by God while ordering our position, uh, positions for the good of others. We remind ourselves to simply trust God and to have faith in who he's created us to be. This isn't actually um, a new Marie Kondo-style um, groundbreaking practice. Israel have been uh, practicing this, or the nation of Israel practiced this for thousands of years. They had a practice called Jubilee, uh, where they would regularly do things like uh, cancel debts, uh, give away property, give away their harvest, give away their possessions to those in need, understanding that all they have is God's, that we follow the way of Jesus, not the way of mammon. We remind ourselves to simply trust God and have faith in who he's created us to be. So uh, may you go today knowing that you are loved by God. May you go trusting that uh, you already right now are a very significant human being. And may you go with a deep desire to, to become more like the person of Christ. And may you go holding your stuff lightly, lightly ready to be a blessing at any moment because you trust in how Jesus has created you to be. Let's pray.